Hello everyone and welcome back to Daily Kaylee's 13 Days of Halloween. If you are new here, we've had a lot of new listeners in the past few days, so I want to give another introduction to my podcast and to the 13 Days of Halloween segment. If you're new here, Daily Kaylee is hosted by me, Kaylee, and this is a true crime podcast. I started this podcast in 2020, and at the time, it was not specifically designed to be true crime. I actually, I sort of left it open to different possibilities, but over the years, it has stayed true to true crime. So, welcome to this unconventional true crime podcast, and The 13 Days of Halloween series is something I have been doing religiously since I started this podcast in 2020. We are on our fourth annual 13 Days of Halloween segment, and this is my favorite time of year, not only in this podcast, but in my life in general. I look forward to this every year. I do research on new cases for this every year. My hope is that it gets better and better. Today's episode is about the Circleville Letters. I heard of this case years ago, before I started my podcast, and it is just so bizarre. If you've never heard of the Circleville Letters, you're in virtue. The Circleville Letters are a series of anonymous letters that were sent to the residents of Circleville, Ohio, in the 70s. These letters were extremely specific. They were sent from an anonymous source, and they were very personal. Every citizen who received these letters, these letters detailed extremely specific personal information from their lives. It was very strange. This case began in 1976 with a bus driver by the name of Mary Gillespie. I really hope I'm saying that correctly. Gillespie. I'm going to go with Gillespie. She received a letter as a school bus driver that was accusing her of an affair with the superintendent of her school system. The writer basically told Mary that she had been, her house had been watched, they had been observing her house, they knew she had kids, they gave her personal details about her family, and basically said, stop the affair with the superintendent. This letter was postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, but it had no actual return address. It was sent absolutely anonymously. Within a week, Mary received another letter. She kept these letters to herself. She didn't tell anyone because according to Mary at this time, this affair did not exist. If that's true or not, I don't know, but she claimed This affair was not real. She kind of just brushed the letters off. She didn't tell anyone. She didn't want to freak anybody out. She just kind of wanted to let it blow over. However, her husband, Ron, received a letter as well. 
His letter had details about his wife's supposed affair and told Ron if he did not stop his wife's affair with the superintendent, his life would be in danger. After two weeks of these letters, the writer threatened to go public with Mary's alleged affair. The writer said they would broadcast it to the local news stations. It would be on TV, it would be on the radio, it would be on local billboards, etc. Once this letter was sent to them, Mary and Ron confided, confided in only three people. Ron's sister, her husband, Paul Fresher, which is important, and Paul's sister. Mary had some ideas of who the letter could have been sent by because I guess she had some enemies in her life. It was never detailed who her suspects were. But they had the idea to have Paul write letters to this person they thought was sending the letters to claim that they knew who he or she was and basically to stop sending these letters or they would face the consequences. This plan worked for about a few weeks. The letters stopped, but... On August 19, 1977, Mary's husband, Ron, received a, f received a phone call, and the person on the phone claimed to be the writer of these letters. According to Ron, well, I'm not going to say according to Ron, according to Mary, whoever called Ron, she he didn't say who it was, but based on his behavior, it seemed to confirm that whoever Ron thought was sending the letters was indeed the person sending the letters. It confirmed his suspicions. Ron immediately hung up the phone, grabbed his gun, and then left in his pickup truck. According to Mary, the caller on the phone told Ron he was watching his truck. Ron didn't give a shit. He left. Only a few minutes later after leaving the house, Ron was found dead in his pickup truck, and he had crashed into a tree. While investigating Ron's death, investigators learned that he had fired off at least one shot from his gun before he crashed. The sheriff over the case had one suspect, I guess based on Mary's report. The sheriff's office questioned the suspect, but he was eliminated. Whoever this person was, wasn't involved. He ruled Ron's death an accident and just claimed that he he was drunk and he had lost control. This is where things get very messy in this case. Several other residents of Circleville received letters after this. Ron and Mary were the first, but after Ron's death, more residents received letters. These letters stated that Sheriff Radcliffe of Circleville had been involved in a cover-up within Ron's death. According to the letters, Sheriff Radcliffe initially agreed that the death was a result of foul play. However, after his one and only suspect passed a polygraph, Radcliffe changed his mind and said it was an accident. 
After the investigation, Ron's blood alcohol level turned out to be 0.16, which we all know is twice the legal limit. However, all of Ron's family and friends, they were extremely surprised and they did not believe this. According to them, Ron was not a heavy drinker. This was very surprising and suspicious to them. Funnily enough, after Ron's death and after the letters, Mary and the superintendent of schools later came out and admitted they had a relationship. However, according to them, this relationship did not start until after the letters were sent. Like I said earlier, I don't know how true that is, but either way, very interesting. In February of 1983, over six years after the first letter was sent, Mary was still being harassed. Apparently, the person who wrote the original letters had started putting up threatening signs on the side of the road along Mary's bus route. One day, Mary had a bad day. She was fed up. She was done with this. And she got out of the bus and decided to tear down one of the signs on the side of the road. When she pulled the sign out of the road, she discovered there was a booby trap that was designed to kill her. In this trap, there was a box which had a gun inside of it, just like a small pistol. If Mary had pulled the sign a different way, any different way than what she did that day, the gun would have fired and it would have killed her. When the police investigated, they discovered that there was a very... I don't know how to even explain this. I'm going to just go with a very dumb, short-sighted way of removing the serial number. They were still able to see the number. When they ran lab tests and like blew it up so they could see the number, they ran tests and they determined that this pistol belonged to Ron's brother-in-law, Paul Fresher, who I mentioned earlier. At this time, six years after the original letter, Paul and Ron's sister had recently split. According to Paul, the gun had been stolen and that was his alibi. On February 25th, 1983, Sheriff Radcliffe asked Paul to meet with him and take a handwriting test to rule him out as a suspect of the writer of the Circle Bill letters. Paul came. He asked Paul to copy the handwriting from the letters. And then he had Paul write the letters while repeating them verbally. So he basically had him read the letters aloud while he was writing it. After the test, Sheriff Radcliffe had Paul take him to his garage and show him where he kept his gun before it was stolen. After this, the sheriff apparently had his suspicions confirmed by Paul's behavior, his handwriting, I'm not sure. But he took him to the courthouse, and this is where Paul was arrested and charged with attempted murder on Mary's life. Six months later, on October 24th, 1983, he went officially on trial for her attempted murder. 
During this trial, he was never officially charged with writing the letters, but they were a really heavy piece of evidence against Paul. A handwriting expert came and testified during his trial, and they confirmed that Paul was indeed the letter writer. Mary also testified and said that she believed he was the writer after his wife, Ron's sister, apparently visited her and had the same suspicion and I guess wanted to talk to her woman to woman. I'm not sure how that went. Paul's boss also testified at the trial and said he was not at work on the day that the booby trap on the side of the road was found. Paul had an alibi for most of this day, oddly enough. But he never took the stand to defend himself. He never had a single word to say to actually build his alibi. He claimed he was innocent, and that was it. Even though he claimed innocence, he was convicted, and he was given a sentence of anywhere between 7 to 24 years. While he was in prison, he also received letters from the Circleville writer. This writer in, in the letters basically said he was determined to keep Paul in prison. While Paul was in prison, other residents of Circleville also received letters, and they were still being postmarked from Columbus, Ohio, even though Paul himself was in prison in Lima, Ohio. While Paul was in prison, because these letters kept arriving, it was obviously suspicious. They all thought that he was sending them. He was put in solitary confinement, so he cannot write letters, he cannot send them, but letters kept arriving to the residents of Circleville, Ohio. In December of 1990, seven years later, Paul became eligible for parole. However, he was denied because the letters were still being received by residents of Circleville, even though there was absolutely no possible way he could be sending these letters. Finally, in May of 1994, Paul gets out on parole. To this day, he is maintaining his innocence. And yet, we still don't have an identity for the Circleville writer. There have been possible suspects, but none of them have checked out. Unsolved Mysteries has actually done a film on this topic, on this case, and we still have nothing. There are no other suspects, no other clues. There is nothing. According to Unsolved Mysteries, after their episode came out, about Circleville Rider, they actually received a letter from the Circleville Rider, and yet we still can't trace this Rider. We cannot track them down. We know absolutely nothing. However, Paul Fresher, who was convicted for the attempted murder of Mary, even though he still claimed he was innocent, he passed away in 2012. He never found out the identity of the writer and neither have we. I wish I had more to tell you about the Circleville writer because this case is so mind-boggling, but this is all I have for you today. 
I hope by next Halloween I have an update for you, and if so, you know that I'll give it to you. Thank you guys for listening. I'll see you again in a couple days. Bye, guys.